Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the FT Advisor podcast. My name is Ema Jackson-Obot and I'm the Deputy Features Editor. Today we're going to be talking about private assets investing, how it has grown in popularity, how to access these types of funds and the role these types of assets play in a portfolio. Joining me today are Simon Totti, Head of MPS at Quilter Cheviot and Tim Bull, Head of Product Management at Schroders. Hi Tim, hi Simon. Hi Emma. Hi Emma. Um, I think probably a good place to start with our chat today is really looking at sort of the definition of of private assets, um, I would think. Um, maybe I'll start with you, first of all, uh, Tim. What what do we typically mean by private assets? So I think in the simplest form, it, it means any asset which you can invest in, which is not on a, on a recognised exchange or, or tradable on a recognised exchange. So, you know, by definition, that means, you know, it's it's... Yeah, it's incredibly broad in terms of what falls under the category of private assets. Um, I think what has, um, you know, I think everyone or a lot of people have have some sort of exposure to private assets, typically those people who own a house. I mean, ultimately, that's a private asset and people treat that as something as, a, as part of their overall investment. Um, so I think many people have have exposure to private assets than they, or more people have exposure to private assets than they might realise. Okay. And um, Simon, has the definition changed over time as well? Or has it, you know? No, I think what Tim outlined is absolutely spot on. You know, as, as a concept, it's quite a simple one to grasp. But as an umbrella term, it's a very broad one and, you know, captures a range of investments with, you know, what can be very differing return profiles, differing um, risk profiles, uh, and the means to gain exposure to them can be quite varied as well. So, you know, we're talking about you know, quite a, a high level definition of things that can venture into areas like, you know, private equity, private debt, real estate, um, infrastructure, the, the list is very broad. Can that make it um, hard, being so varied, can it make it hard to measure performance or to understand performance, um, Simon? Well, I, again, I think it comes down to what you're seeking from, you know, what is is defined as a, as a private asset. Um, there are those types of investment where, you know, the focus is very much on um, seeking to generate, you know, a diversified source of income. Um, so a, a regular income stream, and, and that can be quite clearly defined. Other areas, you know, you're looking at very high growth investments, um, again, you know, with potentially quite a high risk profile. Um, so I think in answer to your question, it, it is it is dependent upon, you know, the asset class being looked at. Um, and private assets, you know, can give you very varied experiences in terms of the the type of risk return profile that you're achieving. Um, Tim, do you have any thoughts on that? I think well, I think performance is absolutely. I mean, there's 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 got to be one of the key factors that people need to um, be thinking about when when it is they're looking to invest in private assets. I think one is what what has changed a lot recently has how people can access private assets so i think you know when now that people can access private assets through various sort of you know product structures or different types of platforms which make it more accessible i think then people can start assessing okay what sort of performance or what sort of returns am i looking for i mean i think as simon says i mean there are those investors that are looking for a particular income stream they're looking those those there are those investors that are looking for a particular sort of outcome or or, or capital generation but I think what is really what has really transformed a lot um, over recent years has been that there are far more options for investors to access private assets, and that has really sort of brought home or brought brought to light. Okay, so what what am I, what is it that I'm looking for to generate 
by investing in private assets? And that's, I think, the key question that every investor needs to be very clear on before they make that that, that decision. And, and expanding on that in terms of accessing, um, getting access to private assets, how, how can investors gain exposure to private assets, what types of funds? So I think there's been three developments over recent years, which I think have helped. One is being that product structures have become become more innovative. So there are different types of structures designed specifically around individual investors. I think that's been a big factor. I think the other factor has also been technology. That's also reduced the complexity or made it easier for investors to access private assets and has also made it um, more efficient for managers to provide access to private assets. And then the third one has also been regulation. And the regulators have been very involved in terms of being able to put the right framework in place for investors to be able to access private assets in a in a in, a, in an appropriate form, um, and and I think those three those three strings have really trans, transformed the landscape. And and is that what you're seeing as well, Simon? Did you want to add to that? Yeah, I think you know some very good points there um, from Tim. You know, historically, private assets I think has been seen as much more of a focus for for larger institutions. Um, so institutional investors, you know, endowments, uh, DB pension schemes, ultra high net worth individuals, it, it's been perceived to have been either hard to access or in some cases, you know, hard to fully understand the area. Um, and there's often been, you know, significant minimum investments, long lockup periods. That's been, you know, often seen as a trait of, of the, of the definition. Um, so, you know, th- there has been some welcome developments and, you know, e- even in areas um, like listed closed end companies, you know, this is an area where, where we're quite focused on in, in some of our exposure to, to private asset uh, investments. You know, even there, you've seen quite a, a you know, a, a growth in the number of, of vehicles that are available. But that's going hand in hand with, as Tim's outlined, you know, other technological developments as well that are that are bringing it more to the fore. And, and I think you know it is it is growing in the the minds of of um, investors more broadly. Um, you know they are looking for alternative sources of return, alternative investment opportunities. Um, you are seeing you know uh, uh, we lament about it in the UK. You know a reduction in the number of listed companies um, that are providing exposure to certain sectors or, or certain themes. Um, you know companies are coming to market later. Um, you know if if at all. Um, in some areas as well. So I think, you know, um, this, this evolution, um, you know, this, this broadening out of, of access is, is a welcome thing um, in terms of giving investors a, a real opportunity to access some of these ideas and these themes. And what type of um, investors, um, uh, Tim, would you say that private assets are suitable for? What type of mindset as well? So I think it's it depends on on what sort of assets are being invested in. I think, but ultimately, I think you know we generally find that those investors, um, what we perhaps categorise as high net worth or mass affluent investors, are the ones where private assets perhaps you know are the, are the more suitable. I think for investors who have only perhaps kind of a, you know a small amount or smaller portfolio. You know, you have to bear in mind that many of these private assets are illiquid, and therefore you cannot sort of access the money, you know, the next day if you need it. So it has to be part of a long-term portfolio planning. Now, what we've found is that you know, across most private investors' portfolios of the sort of high net worth, mass affluent, typically allocation to private assets at the moment is is you know below five percent. In some cases, you know, close to zero. Um, now, I mean, I do think that the diversification that comes with private assets means that it 
you know, it, it, sh- it should and it can play a, a greater role in people's portfolio. But the percentage allocation really does vary from investor to investor based upon their circumstances, what their objectives are, you know, their their, their ability to be able to kind of lock money up for a, for a long period of time. So there's no magic number, but I do think that given that private assets are becoming more accessible, it provides good diversification to a portfolio. I do believe that the number is is one that should be increasing above what it is at the moment for most investors. Um, Simon, what do, what do you see as sort of the future of private? Do you see that increasing? Do you see more, you know, more retail investors, you know, looking at this area as as a as a way to diversify? I think so. Um, you know, again, as with all investments, there are potential benefits. There are also potential downsides, and you know, the suitability really of any investment is going to be dependent upon the client's individual circumstances. Um, you know, I, I think. Exposure to private assets is something that all investors should, at the very least, consider. Um, you know, for the reasons that that I've outlined. You know, in terms of a potentially broader opportunity set, um, and for the reasons Tim's Tim's covered as well, it won't be suitable for everyone. Um, but again, we're talking about a, a definition that is so broad that you know uh, it, it is it, it is very important. I think to dig under the bonnet and and just really identify what are clients seeking in terms of their investment outcomes and how can these investments potentially help um i was going to ask you other simon are, are when someone is considering uh private assets um are there certain what do they need to understand in terms of the pros and the cons what what do they also need to understand about about the cons around private assets investing or, the, or what do they need to be cautious about so if you think about the role that they play in a portfolio it can it can again you know be very, very varied depending upon the, the the asset that you're considering. Um, you know, they can certainly offer those diversification benefits. Um, you know, they can they can provide access to, to investments that either have, you know, a low or lower correlation to, you know, what may still comprise the, the majority of their, their portfolio in terms of um, you know, listed uh investments and and uh and publicly traded investments. Um you know, you can have some inflation linkage in terms of the the income opportunities that they can provide. Um, as mentioned earlier, you know, if you if you move up the risk spectrum, you know, they can provide um, you know exposure to to early stage investments. Um, so you know, within the private equity space, you know, venture capital opportunities. Um, so I I think you know again when looking at what a client is is seeking to achieve, you know, it's a it's a broad opportunity set. Um, they need to know that you know that there are there are certainly you know potential benefits to to considering increasing exposure to this space. Um, equally, you know the point on on liquidity, uh, as Tim's mentioned, you know um, liquidity, the liquidity uh, or illiquidity premium can can certainly be you know a, a benefit in the long term, but that needs to meet and align with the client's investment journey. Um, and as I say, you know as a as a manager of of model portfolios. Um, you know, a lot of our exposure is is through the investment trust, investment company REITs, um, you know, uh, approach, which, you know, gives that that combination of kind of permanent capital investment, but also, you know, those shares being traded on a, on an exchange. Um, you know, that that is often a way that, um, you know, we can we can gain exposure to some of these themes and some of these ideas for clients. But again, that in itself, you know, can come with with um, at times liquidity challenges or a, a disconnect between you know the share price of the company and it's uh, quoted now so 
really all these factors just have to be considered in terms of portfolio construction um, and you know the means of accessing these investments it, it is really you know something that needs to be considered when when building exposure for clients thank you simon um tim talking about portfolio makeup i mean what role do do private assets or, or these types of funds play in a portfolio I think they play an important role. I mean, I think as we've touched upon already, I mean, you know, we're, you know, the world we're surrounded in, so much of it is actually not available through a listed exchange. I mean, the companies that we deal with every day, you know, or the or the the infrastructure that will that we use. I mean, a lot of this is not stuff that can be easily accessed through, you know, through 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 listed equities or or, or fixed income securities. So I think that's why private assets are important because ultimately every investor is looking to to make sure that they're kind of, you know, they have exposure to different types of asset classes, different types of return, sources of return. So private assets I do I think play an important role. I think you know as we've touched upon, you know, it's it, most important part though is that the investor when making that decision is aware of what they're actually committing to because these are typically much longer term um and you know there are, you know, performance might not be the same as what it's been historically so it has to be be part of a you know of a diverse portfolio um, and that's you know that's the message that we relate to institutional investors as much as it is to to private investors it has to be diversification is very important when it comes to private assets different differently than i would say for more sort of listed securities um, because private assets is also very much structured around transactions you know the way you access a private asset is through a transaction it's not as though it's a listed security and, and the example I often referred to is you know when you buy an equity on an exchange effectively you know it's almost like that equity is 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 you know is on it's almost like a moving train you're jumping on that train when it's moving and then you're jumping off when when the time suits you train is still moving but with the private assets effectively everyone is getting on board that train when it's at the station and everyone gets off that train when it's you know when it stops at the the destination station so the whole concept around private assets it's, it's a different type of way of investing much more structured around transactions and so you know with that means it, it means it's, it's less liquid and investors have to be comfortable with that and have to be you know comfortable with what it is that the reason why they're investing I mean, it sounds like it's a, a type of investment st- approach or strategy that fits m- more the active style than passive. That, 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 is that fair to say? I don't think you, it would be very difficult, I think, to structure private assets in a sort of passive type fund. I mean, I, it, it, it is, well, it is being done um, and, and, and I'm sure it can be done. But like I say, I mean, you know, the, the the nature of, of private assets is very much structured around transactions. So I think it would be a challenge unless there was some sort of sort of synthetic sort of, um, you know, model made that, you know, that would allow some sort of passive type in, in exposure to those assets. I, ultimately, I think you'd end up losing so much in terms of the, the structuring, the costs and so on involved in it. I, I, I don't really see it happening in any, you know, a meaningful sort of means of accessing private assets through through a passive form. I think it's, it tends to be much more better suited for a more type of active management. Is, is, yeah, sorry, Simon. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Amit. Yeah, I was just going to say in terms of, you know, what you're, what you're seeking exposure to, you know, if you look at private equity or, um, you know, managing a, a real estate portfolio, what you're really looking for is the expertise, the active engagement and expertise of the management team. And that can vary significantly you know you want to identify quality you want to identify structures where there's an alignment of interests 
um, but the opportunity to take a long-term approach, to engage very much with companies, um, to assist them in their development, um, you know, to, to to really, you know, roll up your sleeves and get involved. That is, by definition, a very active approach. Um, it's quite labour intensive and, and, you know, intensive in terms of its um, its time demands as well. So, so that that is you know one of the key benefits I would argue of what you're you're seeking to gain exposure to here, and you know there are ways to to structure kind of indexed exposure to some of those themes, but uh, you know at the heart of it, it it is it is an active approach that you're looking for in in um, in this allocation. And when it comes to um, expenses or costs involved in investing in private assets, how 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 is that typically structured, or what does that look like? So I think I mean. The costs involved can vary a lot depending upon the asset class and the type of type of investments that's being made. I mean, I think typically it comes with a higher cost for the reasons that Simon has outlined, and that there's a very active management role that's being done here. So, you know, you are expecting the manager that you're investing with to be very sort of hands-on in terms of steering that asset to a point of you know where the return is going to be generated. We also have to think about one of the reasons why a lot of companies are choosing not to list is because it also comes the, a lot of costs are associated with actually being listed. And you know, whilst you know you might not see that when you're investing in a listed equity, you're kind of paying for it because you know that company needs to have whole teams worth of, of people generating regulatory, you know, um, audited reports and all the regulatory filings and so on. So there's a cost which is sort of embedded in, in listed companies, which you know is actually not that apparent, but you know there's a cost associated with that. Now, when you go into private assets, there's not the same requirements, but so but typically the that that costs are actually part of the fees that the investor might pay to be able to access those sort of private assets. So as a bottom line, I would say, look, I mean, yes, there are higher fees um, involved in accessing private assets. And that's, you know, for a reason because of the the sourcing, the, the, the ownership, the active role that they, they play in that. I think the other aspect is also that, um, you know, the importance of identifying the right the right manager is really key. Um, you need to have someone who's got you know demonstrated track record and performance of being able to really sort of take on a successful sort of hands-on approach with these assets. So, you know, yes, you do have to pay a higher fee and you should therefore expect a good quality management team that you're you know you're getting for that for that higher fee. Thanks, Tim. Um anything to add to that at all, Simon? No, I think I think Tim's Tim's covered a lot of the key points, you know, and the one I'd I'd really focus on that that um you know I had in mind was <clears throat> you know the old adage of cost versus value. Um, you know, if you are allocating here, you want to allocate to to, to quality institutions, to quality management teams. Um, you know, sometimes there is a <clears throat> an additional cost for that, um, especially if there are capacity constraints or you know, it's a particular area of expertise you need to identify whether that is delivering value for you um and you know delivering that kind of complementary exposure alongside your your listed investments as well um so looking at returns net of fees returns is is very important and and you know that is a crucial component beyond just a headline focus on costs alone great thank you so much simon and thanks tim for really helping us again a better understanding about private assets um investments i mean do you where do you see where do you see how do you see it evolving over the next few years as uh, just as a, as a closing up question um tim and then maybe simon afterwards i think it's 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 you know i think the prospects are actually very interesting i mean i think you know we're seeing technology playing an increasing role i mean the the aspect which many of us you know, in the industry are focused upon is what what impact tokenization or you know the, the use of blockchain might have so 
we think, you know, if you think about, I mean, five years ago, I think the idea that you could invest in a private company through an app on your telephone, you know, through the crowdfunding would have seemed sort of nonsensical. And we've seen how quickly that's been adopted. So I think technology is really sort of opening up new opportunities for, for investors to access private assets. So I'm excited. I mean, of course, it also has to be, you know, it comes with risks and it comes with kind of the requirement around regulation and so on and, and, and ensuring that investors are aware and they're suitable investors. But I'm, I'm excited about the future. How about you, Simon? Excited as well? <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, you know, the, the growth of private markets has been well documented and, you know, a lot of the forecasts for it to continue, you know, and, and continue at a, a significant pace. I think, you know, product development and ideas to broaden out the opportunity set for, for clients that, you know, might not historically have been able to access these or access them in a, a relatively limited manner is a good thing um and you know from our perspective it's about you know identifying if they can play a role within um client portfolios above and beyond you know what is currently in the mix so uh, i think you know my colleagues are you know analysts focusing in in this particular area and and covering this you know are, are very much looking at what is coming to market you know um the regulatory changes tim outlined you know how that could potentially alter the mix um, I think it's a good thing, you know, as always, just need to to kind of look under the bonnet and see, is it going to play a role? And, you know, are we, um, as custodians of, of client capital, are, are we comfortable that this is going to to benefit our, our clients? And, you know, going back to one of those earlier points, is it is it in line and supportive of their of their investment objectives? So um, anything that can help support that and, you know, offer a, a broader range of, of investment ideas is is ultimately a good thing. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tim. And thank you, Simon, um, for joining us today. And thank you for listening. Please tune in next week for the next edition of the FT Advisor podcast.